This episode is supported by Active Skin Repair. Active Skin Repair is a skin health company helping people heal with natural, non-toxic, medical-grade ingredients. I just randomly... Vinny was having a toe skin irritation issue and he ended up having this like skin that was really irritating him and it was getting kind of like icky and you know like when kids start to get like little scabs and scratches and then they want to pick at it and it was getting worse and so active skin repair showed up on my doorstep as a result of the sponsorship and I got to put it to use immediately and I got the ointment formula or the like ointment formulation and then also the spray and the spray was perfect so Vinny does not like ointmenty creamy lotiony things on his body but I was able to get out the spray literally took it out of the packaging the day it arrived put it on his toe before he went to bed and the next morning he was like mom my toe's all better. It was literally like this super amazing cure that helped his toes so quickly. So you can use active skin repair on a wide range of skin issues, including cuts, scrapes, burns, sunburns, rashes, other types of skin damage. It's totally safe, non-toxic, suitable on all types of skin, even parts of the body where you might have rosacea or eczema or have acne prone skin. This is also safe for the youngest members of your family up to the oldest. So now you have one simple solution for your family's skin health needs. With over 500 thousand happy customers and thousands of five-star reviews and super safe and clean ingredients active skin repair is something that you want to have on hand for your family so to get your own active skin repair go to activeskinrepair.com to learn more about active skin repair and get 20 percent off your order when you use the code shameless that's activeskinrepair.com use the code shameless for 20 percent off your order activeskinrepair.com code shameless This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 535 with Kim Evie. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 535. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Before we dive into this phenomenal conversation with Kim Evie, I want to take just a moment to point out that our interviews this week and next week are both with Asian women who came to the U.S. via adoption as very young children. They are strong and fierce women who tell their stories through their art, and you're going to be very inspired by both of them. Listening to Asian women's stories is one small thing that you can do to expand your worldview to better understand their lived experiences. While we recorded these interviews a couple months ago, I'm so grateful for the timing of these conversations with Kim Evie and next week with Maya Luque, as this is a critical time to be listening to Asian women's stories. And I wanted to make sure to highlight that before we dive in. So with that said, let's get started. Kim Evie is a Los Angeles-based actor, writer, and stand-up comedian. She has appeared in numerous commercials and TV shows, written for children's animation, and created and starred in one of the first web series of Sony's Crackle.com entitled Gorgeous Tiny Chicken Machine Show. She produced Felicia Day's trailblazing series The Guild, a web show so successful that it was actually put on display in the Smithsonian American History Museum. As a stand-up comedian, Kim's online clips have been viewed over 8 million times, and she is the proud, shameless mom of a boy who is 5 going on 15. 
Kim and I recently met when we got to do a storytelling event together and it was so much fun. And we were both kind of blown away by the parallels and intersections of the stories we both chose to tell that evening. And so in following up from that event, I asked her, I said, hey, would you want to come on my show and talk about the story you shared on our storytelling show? And so here she is. Kim is a great storyteller. She's really funny. I want you to listen to the story because it's going to pull at your heartstrings and you're going to find no matter what your journey into motherhood has been, you are going to find parts of it that are so relatable. But on top of that, you're going to want to go follow Kim after this because I love how she talks about that comedy, her career into comedy was inspired by her journey as a mom. And this is what I think is so significant and relatable is that you have a kid and then you're like, I have a lot more funny stories now because no one tells you all the funny stories you're going to have after you become a parent, right? All the weird things that your kids do and say and like all the weird things that you do because you're like cleaning up poop all the time (laughs) and you never saw that coming, right? So listen in to hear Kim share how motherhood fuels her comedy career, her indecision around becoming a mother, the moment she knew she actually did want to become a mother and was ready to pursue adoption, her own journey from a foster home in Korea to her adoptive parents in the U.S. when she was two years old, how her being an adoptee influenced her choice to adopt her son through open adoption, the process of being one of three prospective families to adopt the baby who would become her son, and the most profound and magical moment of meeting her son, Charlie. This is a fun conversation. It is a heartwarming conversation. And it's going to make you cry. So (laughs) it made me cry. So buckle up and let's dive in with Kim Evie. Kim, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so happy to have you here. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I always like to give listeners context for how I know my guests and how we've come in connection. And so people have been listening to me talk about my writing class for like four months now, and they're (laughs) sick of it. Like, we'll just start with that. They're like, yes, we know Sarah's doing this writing class and (laughs) she thinks she's going to write a memoir, whatever. But Kim and I met because we were both asked to do readings from my writing teacher at a writing, like storytelling evening. And I told my story closer to the beginning of the evening, and then you told yours, and I was like, holy cow, we have so many overlaps and parallels. I know. When you were telling yours, I was like, oh, my God. I was like, Should I, can I still tell mine? I'm like, as yours was <laughs> unfolding, I was like, is it just going to be the same story? What's going to happen? No, no. It was so good, though. And it was so, I have to say, I think when you carry a story that's really personal to you, you have all these feelings around it. And then when you hear someone else share a story that has some similar pieces to it, you're like, oh, my gosh, I feel so seen. Yeah, yeah. It's really, really great. So, okay, the question we always start with is tell us a little bit more about the dynamics of your personal and professional life beyond your bio and what you're most excited about right now at the beginning of 2021, which is proving to not be that different from 2020. Let's be honest. (laughs) Yeah. Aside from my bio, that is my bio right now. I mean, it's weird because we're in the pandemic, right? So, so yeah, so I normally am a stay-at-home mom. My son is about to turn five, so I've been a stay-at-home mom the whole time. I have been an actor and I've been like doing everything in Hollywood and now I've just been at home. So I started stand-up comedy when he was, I had done it in the past and then I started it again when he was two. And I found it was such a great thing to do as a mom creatively because I didn't have to, wasn't like writing a story. I could just think of stuff as I was playing with him. And if I thought of something good, I would just grab my phone and go blah, 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 blah. And put it in there. So I'm trying to hit 2021 hard with that. I'm really trying to develop an hour's worth of material this year. I want to have, you know, like a clean show that I can take anywhere and do and 
Yeah. So that's where I am right now. And then, so I'm trying to work on that in my free time. And then otherwise I'm just, I'm constantly with my kid. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes. The relentlessness of parenting. Yeah. Um, Okay. So two things I want to mention. I so agree that, and this is part of the reason I started my podcast, that children give you the best material. And so I, and that's part of the reason I started the show, because I was like, I need a place to tell my stories. Like there's so many stories to tell when that happen every single day. And I didn't know that before becoming a mom. So I love that you're using that to do in the format of comedy. That, I think that's so brilliant. Also, I think we know in common, do you know Ophira Eisenberg? Yes, I met her on a cruise and she was one of the guests and she's amazing and hilarious. And- oh my gosh. I met her in a hot tub in Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like you do. Sure. Right. And I had no idea like who she was or anything, but we totally hit it off. And then I was like, by the end of the trip, I was like, I just want to be friends with her. She's so cool. So she was actually an early guest on my show, but she also, after she had her son, she did stand up comedy before then, but after she had her son, she's like, holy cow, like I should, would have had kids years ago had I known they would give me so much comedy content. Yes. Oh my God. That's so funny. Yeah. She is brilliant. And we were on this cruise that we go on this. It's a nerd cruise called the Joko cruise. And beforehand, my husband's always a guest not always, but he was a guest. And so you meet the other guests and I didn't know who she was either. I just, there's just this woman with a kid who looks my kid's age and we're like, Hey, Hey, and she's so nice. And then like over the course of the cruise, I find out who she is. And then immediately my you know, brain starts going like, Oh my God, she's so good. Okay. I can't now she's not gonna want to be friends with me. And that's, you know, but of course she's, yeah, she's kind of fancy. Like she doesn't come off as fancy. She doesn't position herself as fancy, but she's like on NPR all the time. Like that's fancy in my book. Uh, Totally. Me too. And then, and she's so funny and she's, you know, like she wrote a book and I was just like, why is she speaking to me? (laughs) I know. I know. I, I totally felt the same. I love it. I love small world connections. Yeah, that's amazing. I love that you met her in a hot tub. Oh my God, that's yes. the best. <laughs> yeah, that's like, we both agree. We're like, this is our best vacation story ever for each of us. It's like making friends. <laughs> it really is. Yes. Okay, so when the whole reason I wanted you to come on the show was to talk about your journey into motherhood because we both had struggles into our journeys into motherhood. And I think we also both had kind of a lot of internal conflict around like, do I want to be a mom? Do I not want to be a mom? I definitely came to this place where I knew that I did want it, even though I was terrified of it. But when you were telling your story at the storytelling event that we shared, where we shared the stage, the Zoom screen, um, (laughs) you, I think, had more inner conflict than I did. And motherhood was not something that you had been yearning for all your life, if I remember correctly. Can you talk a little bit about your desire to be a mom and how things shifted for you through adulthood? Yeah, well, it's interesting because motherhood, I always assumed that I would be a mom, but it was never like because I loved children or because, <laughs> because I was just like captivated by the idea of being a mom. I just, first of all, I sort of, I think it was just a very old sort of the patriarchal idea of like, I will grow up and I will get married and I will have a child like the end, like that was just kind of how my brain thought. And then also I was adopted. And so I always wanted to have a child because I'm Asian, my parents are Caucasian. And so I always just assumed that I would have a child. And that was something that I really wanted because I wanted to to have somebody who was related to me and I wanted to see what my child would look like. And I wanted to you know, have a blood relation. And so, but it was still, it was more like an assumption. It was just like, that will happen and then it will be cool. But it wasn't like you. I never came to this point of like, okay, I'm totally ready. You know, like, this is it. Here we go. It just snuck up on me. And then I was like, oh, I guess I better do that now. 
shoot, whoa, look at the time, you know, let's start. And still it wasn't even like, I wasn't gung ho about it. It was just like, okay, I guess we're going to do it. And then all of a sudden it wasn't working. And then that's when it became really tough because it was, yes. And that was parallel that we share says piece of the story that we share is the like, as soon as this was threatened to not work, I was like, Oh, now I'm going to double down on how desperate I am for this. Like before I was like, well, I don't know, maybe. And this is kind of how I am. If like someone says you can't have something or you might not be good at something. I'm like, Oh, hashtag watching. (laughs) We're going to figure this out and we're going to get an A plus on it. And that was a huge struggle. So can you talk a little bit about deciding that you were going to go for it and then having it not work? Yeah. I mean, it's funny because I'm kind of the opposite of you. I'm not really like, you know, a type A go-getter. I'm more of like a is everybody doing this? Can I come? Kind of (laughs) (laughs) like, is it cool if I'm coming along, guys? Is that fine? So, you know, when it became time, I was just like, okay, shoot damn it, we got to do this. And I just wanted somebody to tell me, like, this is great. This is okay. And the thing that was hard was the hardest part was at the time, my husband, you know, I think he had had the same mindset as me when we got married, which is like, we both talked about it. We wanted kids, you know, we just assumed, but then we got married in our early, in our mid thirties. And so by the time we started, by the time we found out that we couldn't get pregnant and the decision was just like, okay, we have to actively make this decision. I was like, let's do this. You know, I wanted a partner to be like, yeah, let's do this. And he is the type A person in our relationship. He is the guy that's always like, let's do this. Let's make the plan. Let's. So I was waiting kind of for him to be like, okay, here we go. And he was like, you know, I really like our life and it's fine if we have kids. I'm sure that I'll be good with it, but I can't quite picture it. And I just like, I can't be gung ho about it because I don't know. I just, I can't picture it. And I was like, what? Oh. And so I just really felt kind of hung out to dry, like, oh, oh, okay. So, and he was like, I totally support you. I don't not want it, (laughs) you know, (laughs) but it was, you know, with something like that, obviously you want your person to be on board with you a hundred percent. And, you know, when he wasn't, I was like, wait, so this is my choice. I have to be the one. So, you know, it's alienating in a couple of ways. So, Yeah, yeah. This episode is supported by Earn In. Life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn now can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. Super, super easy to use. You just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then you can access up to $100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. So the app is free. You can leave a tip if you want. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So here's the thing. Sometimes getting close to your next paycheck, next pay period, and you realize, oh gosh, like paycheck doesn't come until next Friday, but we have this event that we need to attend this weekend and we need money for it. Or we have to buy a gift for someone. Or, oh my gosh, like my kid tore through their shoes and now we have to buy new shoes this weekend and the money's not in the bank yet. So earning can help you access the money you've already earned at work by giving you this little bit of money in advance. So make Earnin part of your financial routine and join Earnin's over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earnin, I think about financial stability and security, and it gives me a lot of peace of mind. 
So for our listeners, all you need to do is download Earn In today. It's spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, and you can download it in Google Play or the Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Shameless Mom under podcast when you sign up. So there'll be a little place where you can, where it says, what podcast did you hear about them on? Type in Shameless Mom under podcast. This helps to show support for our show and our advertisers. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank, and subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. This episode is supported by AquaTrue. Having clean, safe water is the last thing you want to worry about. But unfortunately, according to extensive research by the Environmental Working Group, three out of four, yes, three out of four homes in America have harmful contaminants in their tap water. So that's why you got to check out AquaTrue. AquaTrue purifiers have a four-stage reverse osmosis purification process. And their countertop purifiers, which is what we have, take no installation or plumbing, and they remove 15 times more contaminants than ordinary pitcher filters and they're specifically designed to combat chemicals like PFAS, which can lead to potentially adverse health effects like cancer, endocrine system disruption, and liver toxicity, which is part of what makes AquaTrue so special, unique, and important in terms of how they are able to filter water. They also have water purifiers to fit every type of home. So like the installation-free countertop purifier that we have at our house to higher capacity under sink options. They even have Wi-Fi connected purifiers and mineral boost options. So I'm so excited about our new AquaTrue. And here's the thing. I swear it's like a gentle reminder to actually drink more water every time you walk into your kitchen. So we are drinking more water now and also more clean water. So more water that is more clean. It feels like a double win. I'm feeling pretty impressed with us. I feel like sink water, tap water becomes invisible at a certain point. And when I see the purifier on my counter, it's like many time a day reminder to like, keep drinking, keep drinking. So I want you to check out AquaTrue for yourself and for your family. AquaTrue comes with a 30 day money back guarantee and that makes it a great gift as well. Today, my listeners, can receive 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com. That's A-Q-U-A-T-R-U.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout. That's 20% off any AquaTrue purifier when you go to AquaTrue.com and use the code SHAMELESS, S-H-A-M-E-L-E-S-S, AquaTrue.com code SHAMELESS. And especially as you, so I'll go ahead and tell us a little bit about what I was going to say is, especially as you start to make decisions around if you can't get pregnant naturally and what courses there's so many options around what like next steps could be. And there's all this like major decision-making, which is so exhausting and overwhelming and has so many physical and financial and emotional implications to it. And so to have a partner who's like, sure, I'm here. I'm on, I'm here for the ride. Like, let me know what you want to do. That's how, and I had a partner who was, he wanted us to get pregnant ultimately, but he also was like, no, I like, I trust you to make the decisions. And I was like, this is a real big car to drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's a lot. And, but that's also kind of the nature of our relationship. Like I am like the, I'll figure it out and do the research and do it. And up to that point at that, it always worked. And then it was like, well, this is a lot. <laughs> like, it would be nice for someone else to have a really strong opinion about something. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's so funny. And yeah, and, and I, we were the opposite because I'm normally like just waiting for him to kind of just take control. I mean, he really is a type A personality, so it works well in our relationship. Yeah, yeah. So you would have expected him to go figure some of those things out and make, be on, kind of lead the decisions then. Yeah, or at least be like, okay, we're totally going to do this. Like, you know, make sure you, or at least sort of coach me into like, you know, make sure that you find the best guy or I don't know. But instead he was just like, okay, go for it. 
Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if I recall from your story, from the night of the storytelling event, if I recall, there was a very poignant moment at a baby shower. Is that right? Yeah, that was when I actually realized that I did want to become a mother. Okay, tell us a little bit about that. Because I remember this like very emotional picture that you painted around that. So basically what happened was, you know, we don't need to go through my whole fertility story because you've done yours. And but I gave and, you know, part of the reason that I gave up was because I said, you know, that it was financial. And it was because I we'd done a lot of IUIs. And then the one that was supposed to be the IVF didn't work. And at that point, I was just like, after doing this for so many times, I can't imagine getting pregnant and then not having that go through. I was just like, I don't think I'm I think I'm emotionally equipped for that. So I told my husband, you know what, let's just adopt. And then we, and he was like, oh, okay, whatever you want to do, honey, you know, <laughs> and let's adopt. And he, and he was like, yeah, it's fine. But my heart wasn't really an adoption at that point because I was so, I had been, you know, very fixated on like, I want to have a baby. I want to see what my baby looks like with my husband. I want us together to make a person. <laughs> it was just, you know, it was really important to me. And but because I hadn't had that component of like, and I really want to be a mom because I love babies, that component was missing. So when I couldn't, you know, fulfill the physical part of it, I got really like weirdly embarrassed about it. Like, oh, okay, well, I can't just not want to have a baby now because then that would prove that I'm really weird because that would prove that I didn't really want a baby. It just would prove that I like wanted a science experiment, which is not what you're supposed to do. So I was like, let's adopt, you know? Yeah, that's what I want to do. So we went and we, you know, we investigated, like we went to one seminar for one adoption agency. And it was like, oh yeah, that's interesting. And then this is where it was like to my benefit that he was so lackadaisical about the whole thing, because I was just like, that's, yeah, I'll follow up. And he's like, whatever. And then I just kind of didn't. And, you know, and it was fine with him. And, you know, I was working a job at the time that was really intense. And so I just kind of let it fall by the wayside. And, you know, over time, then people had been, you know, asking, like, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? And then it was like, it's not, it's not. And then it's like, oh, we're looking into adoption. And then, you know, just in between that time, the story kind of changed to like, oh, you know, I think we tried, but it just didn't work out. And that's okay, because we're just, we're good the way we are, you know, we're fine. But that was the story in the kitchen is that I actually hadn't said we're good. I just kept saying, you know, we tried, it didn't work out. And then I was at a gathering of people and a newlywed friend of mine, somebody asked if she was going to have a baby and she said they were going to wait a little. And then they asked me and I said, no, I'm good. And then I realized that I wasn't, which was very shocking because it was like a year, I think, after, you know, I had said, no, I'm fine. And then, you know, what I realized then when I, because I was just like, what am I, wait, what? No, <laughs> no, I'm fine. I said that I'm fine. I don't want to adopt. I'm good. Like I have my job and my husband and he doesn't, and we're good. But then I didn't understand that I had been through this grieving process and that, you know, part of just having to transition, like, you know, I had this shame about this whole science experiment part. I just thought that's not an acceptable thing in society. So I didn't, understand the component of grief and mourning that comes along with it, you know? And like people had said, it's okay that you want that. It's fine for you to want that for itself. But for some reason, I just, I don't know, I couldn't accept that that was 
an okay thing to want. And I don't know why. And maybe it's because I'm adopted. So, you know, there was something about it. It's like, no, you're adopted. So you should, you know, be able to accept another person into your life and, you know, who's not of your blood because somebody did that for you. And so anyway. <laughs> this is the thing about all of it is when you don't get pregnant either right away or and you, or you find out you can't get pregnant naturally or whatever, and, and it becomes all these decisions, it messes with your head in so many ways <laughs> because you go round and round around like, well, what do I think? What do I want? What are my values? Why am I thinking that? Why is it that way? Why are those my, <laughs> like, it's just a lot to process. And so I think that, and you have time, you're living, anything in the fertility world takes so much time that you are in this state of processing emotionally, like forever, it feels like, because nothing happens quickly. And so like if you decide that you want to adopt, that's not just like, oh, we're going to adopt and that's going to happen in the next 30 days. It's like, well, we're going to adopt and then we're going to think about it while it takes like a couple years to adopt. And so there's just a lot of mental processing and flip-flopping of emotions, I think. Yeah. And then also, I mean, as you know, as you're going through the whole fertility thing and then you're, you know, doing the insemination or whatever you're doing, and then you have your period, like you go through a grieving process right there. So you're constantly you know, yeah, trying not to get excited, but inside you're excited, you're hopeful, and then you grieve that this didn't happen for you. And it's just, it's so, so much. Yeah. And for the sake of self-preservation, you have to keep being like, that's okay. I'm fine without it. But then like, when you go to try again, you're like, no, I really, really want this. And then like, if it doesn't work, that's okay. I'm fine. <laughs> so yeah. And then you do this whole thing too, where you're just like, is the fact that I said I wasn't fine? Or is the fact that I was trying to downplay it? Did I do something like energetically? Like, you know, yes. Did I not want it bad enough? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did I not secret it the right way? Like, did I not put it out into the universe? Like, correctly. So yeah. What are the rules of manifestation? <laughs> exactly. So like everything you're second guessing constantly. So yeah. Yeah. So I just realized like, you know, after I had said, I'm good and realizing now I actually, oh my God, I actually do want to be a mother. Like I actually really do. This is component is missing from my life and it's something that I want. And it was such a good thing to know, you know, because. Yeah. Those moments of clarity are so huge to recognize like, oh, actually this is where I'm at with this. Yeah. It sounds like that felt kind of like there was a little bit of finality to like, know like this is the actual truth I've been like looking for, waiting for yeah. And it felt, you know, it's like looking back on it now, it feels like it was like a little shoot of a seed, like growing. It was like, oh, that's still there. Oh, I thought that was just all yeah. good. <laughs> right. Right. Oh, but right. look, something's there, you know, and that was, I was I, like, I hadn't even realized it. So that was very cool. So tell us about the road to adoption. And what was that like? And you also went with, you decided to go through an open adoption. So can you talk about the decision making around like deciding that you are going to adopt and then deciding that you're going to take the route of open adoption and all those things? Yeah. So I, because I'm adopted and I came from Seoul, South Korea in, uh, I think I was brought over here in 1970. So, and I was born in at the end of 68. So, and I, there are no records that I know of, but I'm just starting to learn, you know, more about just the whole Korean adoption in general. Like I always was told like you were left on a police station doorstep. And I'm like, why is that the myth? But apparently like that's a lot of babies were left either at church doorsteps or police stations. So that's kind of like, there are just certain stories that you got told whether it's true or not. <laughs> 
it's just like so you don't know who raised you before you came to the u.s no i know that i was in foster care so i know that i was with somebody but i don't even know who that was like i have some records of like my statistics like my vital statistics but there are no records of any family members or anything like that so because of that, I wanted an open adoption because I wanted my son not to have any questions about it. And I wanted him to, I wanted it to just be completely accepted, which when we went through the process with our agency, you know, you, they make you read a bunch of books. And the great thing about open adoption, you know, when it turns out, and I'm sure there are many stories that are not like mine, but ours is kind of textbook in a good way. And we're very lucky in that, you know, when you just find a person who really wants it as well, and when you just tell your kid from the get-go, like, yeah, that's your birth mother. It is no different than being like, oh yeah, that's your aunt or this is grandma, you know, <laughs> that's your neighbor. This is, you know, or a best friend that you call uncle, you know, and it's like, and that's your birth mom. And he's like, great, you know, that's my birth mom. I came out of her. Okay. You know? And are you in contact with her? Yeah. So she's in North Carolina, but we went out there. I'm getting ahead of myself, but we went out there for his birth. And so we, before the pandemic, we were seeing each other once a year either she would come out here or we would come out there. Obviously we didn't travel last year, but yeah, I wanted, so, and it's interesting for me, I never had a burning desire to find my birth parents because my parents were very open with me and they always said like, we don't have any information. And if we had it, we would give it to you, but we do not. Here's everything we have. And they showed me all the stuff they had. So in my mind, it was just always like, okay, well, <laughs> these are my parents. It would be a lot of work to find, to find anything else. And, you know, I still might be able to, but that, I don't know. I just never had that itch partly because they were so open about it. So that's why I wanted to do open adoption. And then, yeah, I think we started the process. It was a long process. And part of that was, you know, I just dragged it out because I'm me, because again, it wasn't, my husband wasn't like, okay, let's get on the ball. Let's do this. It was all me. So it took like two years from the time I said, we're going to do this until our adoption profile went live. And a little bit of that was because my mom was diagnosed with Alzheimer's. And so there was a part where I was like, I really want to go on this vacation, like this all family vacation. And so I don't want to put our profile out there. I just want this time to have this memory and do this. And then when we come back, I'll keep going with it. So there was that. But yeah, it's... So two years to get the profile up and then how long from then eight months. <laughs> okay, which isn't too, I don't think that's statistically super long time. I know. So when we tried to get pregnant the second time, and IVF failed, and we kind of had this like hard boundary around like what we're going to try, how many times we're going to try it all that. So it failed. And then, <laughs> of course, my husband's like, okay, well, that's too bad. Like me, he was like, sad and everything. But I'm like, not one to take no for an answer. So I'm the next day, like calling an adoption age, uh, an adoption <laughs> agency, which I don't even know if he knows about. But anyway, I call them and I'm like, I just have a few questions. I'm crying, of course. And the first thing they told me was they were like, well, we're only looking for couples of faith. And I was like, okay, well, that's not us. And then they said, they asked our ages and it would have been, let's see, this would have been, I would have been 41 or something. So my husband was 50. They're like, yeah, you're not going to be a very desirable match for most people. <laughs> <laughs> it was so awful. So they're like, you can apply, but it would probably be about a three-year journey. And I was like, oh my God, I can't. I'm out. <laughs> like, I'm not religious enough and I'm not patient enough for this. 
Wow. Yeah, we loved our agency because they were very open about there were no age limits. There was no limit on, you know, sexual orientation or being a single parent or anything like that. It was just like, you know, if you wanted to adopt and you could pass all of the rigorous, you know, tests and, you know, hoops you had to jump through, then you could adopt through this agency, which has since gone defunct, which was so crazy. They've been around since the 80s. And then all of a sudden it was just like, we're not in business anymore. And we were like, what? Because part of the reason we loved them was that they, you know, had like annual picnics and stuff. And now we're like, oh, well, that's sad. But yeah. Talk a little bit about, so you submit your information and then you just sit and wait, I'm assuming, right? And so can you talk about like the waiting and then also when you actually found out that there was a match and what all that was like? Yeah, the waiting was... Yeah, it is. You're just waiting. That's when I started doing stand up again, because people kept asking me, what do you, you know, how's it going? And it's, <laughs> it's literally not going. You're just, I'm just waiting to adopt a baby. But that's all. That's all I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, you're just like, I'm waiting for anything to happen. I'm waiting for like, if there's a higher power out there doing something, I'm waiting for that. Like, uh, there's literally nothing I can do. It is completely out of my hands. So it was just a bizarre question to have to keep answering. So I was like, I got to keep busy because I can't personally keep, you know, mulling this over in my head. Yeah. So I started doing that. And then what was the second part of your question? So just what that looked like in that interim. And then how did you finally get like news that there was a match and or prospective match and, and that piece? Yeah, so I was in a performance of Dancing with the Stars with a friend of mine who loves Dancing with the Stars, and we had snuck our cell phones in, which you're not supposed to do. She oh my gosh, this is such a good story. <laughs> she really, really, really wanted a picture of herself, you know, in there. So, and I had like this weird hole in my purse that, so I was like, put them in here, they'll never know. So... I just happened to look at my phone right before it started and my husband texted and he's like, we got a call. We have a match. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, I can't do anything. And then you have to like sit there for two hours. <laughs> yeah, I was like, the show is going to start. I'm not supposed to have my phone. I have to turn it off right now. I love you, goodbye. <laughs> oh my gosh. So I was just like, ah. Yeah, so it turned out to be our birth mom that we have. So they said, yes, you have a match and... She said that you're, she's picked three couples and you are one of them. And so you're going to have a phone call with her. And this was in September. And the thing is like, they coach you pretty hard about, oh, and I should mention also our, you know, when you do this adoption thing, you have to do a birth parent letter, which like, I'm sure in the olden days was like, dear birth mother, we are so delighted, you know, and it's like in fancy flowy script. And it was like all your hopes and dreams. But today it is like a full on like brochure about you. It's like a, you know, like a four-sided brochure. You put pictures of your life and you try to summarize, you have to summarize your life. That is a lot of pressure. Like, I mean, like my husband's a graphic designer, so I feel like we would thrive in that. But like, if you don't have an artist in the family, that's a lot. It's bizarre. So you're like, okay, so what is our life? How do we make ourselves look attractive? How do we make ourselves, you know, look good? And then also they're coaching you. And I'm sure every adoption agency does this differently, but it's so funny because they're like, be yourself, do everything, you know, like show us who you are. And then, so we <laughs> give them our text and they'd be like, Okay. So here where you say this, like, why don't you change it to this? And we were just like, that's ourselves. No. Okay. So everything that we had, they would be like, change it to make it very active. So don't say like, you know, we love reading, say, you know, we can't wait to read our favorite bedtime story 
the Bernstein bears to our child at night, you know, like they were like, be really specific and be active. And it was just like, so I felt like we were, we're like, okay, I mean, if this works, we'll do what you say. But then it just started feeling like we were being more generic because we were doing what they were telling everybody to do. So it was just strange combination. Oh, but there was a woman who at the agency, they had a day where they had a couple come in with their baby who had adopted. And then they had a birth mom come in and they both kind of told you their experience. And the birth mom who talked to us was pretty great. And she was very frank. And she was like, oh my God, I'm so glad I did this. Like, I mean, the kid is great, but oh my God, he's such a handful, blah, 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 blah. (laughs) (laughs) That's that's awesome. Yeah. She was hilarious. And, And she was like, look, like, I don't want to like burst your bubble or anything, but we get like literally a pile of like hundreds of these things. So I know you guys are all, you know, like you're trying to be really special and everything. You all think you're really special. <laughs> yeah. But she was like, let me tell you, everybody loves to take hikes and everybody loves to bake cookies. <laughs> it's like a dating profile. Like who doesn't like long walks on the beach? Just shut up now. <laughs> Exactly. So I was like, okay, note taken. And she said that she ended up picking her couple and she picked a gay couple. And she was like, I picked it because of the pictures. She was like, I rode horses when I was a kid. And then one of them had a picture of them with a horse and then another, and I'm an artist and another one of them is an artist. And it showed him with a painting. And that was it. Like it had nothing to do with their text. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were gay. It had nothing to do with, you know, where they grew up or their other family. It was like, those two pictures spoke to me. She was like, I'm sure that's not everybody's story, but she was like, so just so you know, like there's no magic formula here. Like, Like, you know, people are going to, some people are going to pick you because, you know, of all the care that you are taking, you know, putting into this writing. And then some people will just be like horse. So (laughs) right, (laughs) that's so helpful, though, to know that, like, just to get any feedback from someone on the other side of the story and the journey. Oh, my gosh, that's so valuable. Yeah, it was. And I do love that she was not precious about it at all. That was really, (laughs) really, really helpful. So we had put in mine, in ours, obviously, that I was adopted as well and, you know, showed me. And so we got a call that we had matched and we were going to, we were planning a trip to New York and our birth mother was in North Carolina. And they said, on this first call, you're not supposed to ask about the baby. You're not supposed to, you know, ask about another call. You're really just asking about her. You're just getting to know her as a person. Like nobody likes to feel like they are a piece of meat, especially like a piece of meat who is there to deliver your baby. Like she's a person. So we were like, okay, so we're not supposed to, but we really wanted to let her know that we were going to be like on the East coast in a month. And we would love to, like, we would fly, we take that extra flight to see her. So We did end up saying that after, you know, we talked to her for almost an hour and we thought it was going really well. And so we did broach the subject. And then she was like, yeah, that would be good. I'd like that. We're like, oh, phew. Okay. You know, and she also told us, it was really nice of her. She told us that she was talking to three other couples, but she said, you're my first choice. Oh my gosh. I was like, was that a relief or pressure or? It was a relief. Knowing that there's three families like that. We just adopted a puppy. And let me tell you, I am a highly competitive person. I mean, the hoops I jumped through knowing that multiple people wanted this puppy. I can't even imagine an adoption of a baby and knowing there was two other people. Like, I would, it would not be pretty. I'd probably break a few laws, like trying to make sure that we were the one. So was that like, with the knowing there was two other families in running with you, was that, how did that play into your mindset with all this? 
Actually, it was good because it was nice to know there were only two, frankly, because there could have been like a slew of them. And Okay, okay. And then the fact that she told us that we were the number one was really helpful. And she said up front, you know, like, I'm telling you that because I can't even imagine what you're going through. And we were like, you can't imagine what we're going through. Right. Wow, you're amazing. So, so yeah, we did end up you know, going and meeting her and her mom and her sister. And then we flew back to, so we like flew to North Carolina in the middle of our New York trip, then flew back to New York. And then we were at ground zero, looking at ground zero. And we get this call from our agency and they said that she had picked us. And so it was the strangest thing because we were at ground zero sobbing for a happy reason. (laughs) Yeah, we were like, we're probably the only people who have ever cried here for, you know, out of joy. How far along was she at that time when you found out? She was seven months. Okay. So this was in October. Yeah. So, and then she was due at the very beginning of January. So. And then how, like, what was that interim time? Were you excited, terrified? She was almost seven months. Yeah. So, I mean, we were really excited, but it's exactly the same as when you are going through fertility stuff because it's like you want to get excited but there's always a chance that you're not going to come home with a baby and I had had other friends who had had that experience I had a friend who like flew all the way had the baby in the hotel room and after three days the birth mom was like I can't do this and so my friend flew back home without the baby and so I was like okay you know so you have to brace yourself for these things and so we were just like you know our birth mom could not have been clearer about her intent to let us adopt you know but at the same time we were very aware that she had never had a baby and so maybe there was something that would surprise her when she gave birth and so we had to be ready for that as well this episode is supported by a podcast i want to share with you called understood explains so this is show is about navigating adhd dyslexia and other learning and thinking differences which can be so confusing and so every uh, season of the show is around a different theme. So there's a season on special education, there's a season on ADHD diagnosis for adults, and the current season is all about IEPs. I love this podcast because the episodes are 10 to 15 minutes long. So if you are short on time or short on focus, you can take this content in super quickly, easily, It's very digestible, and the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube. So Juliana talks all about how to navigate educational plans, IEPs. She talks about the differences between IEPs and 504 plans. She really breaks things down in a really clear and simple way so that you have some of those questions that you might be thinking around, like, does this pertain to my child? Is this something I need to be looking into? Like, where do we go from here? Where do I go if I have questions? Juliana has you covered. She explains so many different things and so many different little pieces and nuance of IEPs and special education and different things on Understood Explains. So I want you to go check it out wherever you're listening to this podcast. You can go listen to Understood Explains. Just go into your podcast app, do a search for Understood Explains, and it will pop right up. Click on it, pick your episode, and get the answers that you've been looking for and the support that you need around different learning differences and differences in school. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it, launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky, 
wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking it. So, you know, we were cautiously optimistic and... So yeah, but it was weird. So, you know, we got the room together, but we didn't have a baby shower until like he was three months old. (laughs) You know, I waited until, you know, it just, you just, you just sort of. You had to protect yourself. Yeah. Because you just, you just don't know how it's going to go. Right. So tell us about him being born. And then also, and what were the laws, rules, what have you around like her, the window that she had between the time he was born and like you being fully cleared to be his legal parents? I think, I believe it was seven days. Maybe it was shorter, but in my mind, it was seven days. But so we went to North Carolina and I think we went a couple days before his due date and then he ended up being late. So we ended up staying there like for a full week before he was born. And we were in a hotel room that was right across the street from the hospital. But, and I said this in my story, like I had booked it, but I didn't realize that it was across the street but it was across like a freeway so (laughs) I do remember that and you're like we're just across the street we'll be right there yeah so she texted us at noon and she was like okay I'm fully dilated and the doctor is doing another birth and then he's going to come here and they're going to induce and this was at noon and so we were like okay well but even when they induce like babies you know I had a friend who had a baby when I was in my 20s and she had an eight hour labor it was like clockwork like check in check out so I was like okay so we still have time so we're like, you know, showering, getting ready. We're going to go pick up flowers for her, whatever. 1240, I get a text. Bing, are you here? And I was like, oh, I was like, no, should we be? And she was like, yeah, he's here. And we were like, oh, my God. So like, you know, we jump in the car and we're like, we're going to go across the street. But it, <laughs> it took us 15 minutes to get like literally across the street because it was like we had to go around this freeway thing. And then it was a hospital and it had all these like back roads. and We had to find it. So it was just funny because we wanted to be obviously sitting outside the door waiting for him to be born. But instead we were like, oh, oh, oh God, oh, you know, and having to prove to the birth mommy that you actually are invested. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We're like, we're coming. We're going to be there. Yeah. Cause it was so funny. She's like, uh, are you here? We're like, no, we're here. Yeah. So we, when we walked up and this nurse was like, he's so beautiful. And we were like, uh, does she always say that? Like, hopefully, what? It's okay. Maybe he's really cute. And he was so cute. And, and it was so funny. Cause when we walked in, you know, she was sitting up and so it took her like two pushes. That's- for a first time, that's like unheard of. <laughs> yeah. So she, I think, I think it took like 20 minutes. I mean, it's that insane is, from yeah. the time that they induced. <laughs> it's just like, nope, this baby just kind of came out. So we walked in and she was just like, you know, sitting up and she has the baby in one hand and then she was just texting in the other hand, you know, <laughs> like you do when you're a teenager. And I was just like, this is hilarious. She does not look like she just, like, she's so blasé. Just like, you know, like, oh, hey, here's a baby, you know. But yeah, but it was amazing. And then the other thing was that one of her mom's best friends was there too. And she had a balloon for us, like a congratulations balloon. And so that made me 
like, okay, okay, I think this is going to be okay, you know, like, so, and it was... Tell us, what was it like holding him for the first time? Well, it was great because my husband got, you know, I was like, you first, please. (laughs) So, because, you know, he had changed his tune for the most part, but it's still, it was like, you know, he just couldn't be 100% on board. And also because of what I said, like, you just can't, like, you want to be excited and then you can't. So the combination of him initially not being 100% on board and then not being able to be 100% on board. And of course, you know, like... As much as I want him to be, then I'm also have that part of me that's still like resentful and judgy. And I'm like, oh, are you really on board now? You know, like. <laughs> right, right, like, right, right. So, but he held him and he just immediately started crying. And it was just, I mean, and our son is so sweet. And he just had these giant eyes. He's, so our birth mother is also adopted. Did I mention that? This is what's. No, no. Oh my gosh. So cool. Okay, go ahead. This is what's crazy. So she's Asian. I'm Asian. She's adopted. I'm adopted. My husband's Caucasian. The birth father is Caucasian. So we have this little baby that does end up looking like we gave birth to him anyway, which is, it's so nuts. And he's just like, I mean, he did cry once they put him on the, you know, thing and started measuring him and everything. But when we walked in, he was just this little bundle and he was just so peaceful and his eyes were huge. And he's just staring at my husband, just like, I don't know. It was just, it was the most beautiful thing. And my husband's just crying and, you know, I was just like, okay, (laughs) like score. (laughs) We did it. It's, you know, I mean, it really was love at first sight for my husband. And that, that is one of the most beautiful things that I've ever seen in my entire life because it was just, he was, he was so hooked (laughs) so instantly, you know? And the other thing about my husband is that, you know, he lost his father to leukemia 25 years ago. And so I don't know if there's like, we haven't talked about it. I don't know what reservations he might've had because of that. But I do know that his brother has two boys and his brother had said, you know, being a father has been a really nice way to have that father son relationship. And so I know my husband was hoping that that would be true for him too. And it really has been. And so, you know, and it's so interesting to be an adoptive parent. And because, you know, as an adopted kid, you don't know any different. It's just, those are your parents. So, and again, I say for me, because I had a good adoption experience. So for me, and I was adopted before I have memory of anything. So I have no other memories of Korea or anything like that. So my parents are my parents, like the end. So I was just, but I don't know. I was like, will it be different, you know, the other way around? Like if you get a baby, is that just your baby? Or do we feel different because you didn't carry it? But it's so amazing to me that it's, nope, that's our son, you know, 100%. Like there's, I mean, I can't say there's no difference because I never had a baby, but it's just, you know, he's ours. And the funny thing is, I don't know what it would be like, you know, people always say, do you, like, are you afraid that she'll change her mind? Or are you afraid? But the fact that she's also adopted, and, you know, her experience was very similar to mine. It's just like, (laughs) everybody in the picture understands like adoption is family, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's so amazing. Like, just, yeah, that's really amazing. All the layers to that. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. So, wow. Oh my goodness. So she's still, you're in LA. She's still in North Carolina with COVID. You're not able to see each other, but you're still in person, but you're able to, you're all still in communication and she's 
of part of your son's life and yeah it's all good yeah it's all good yeah oh my goodness how has motherhood changed you oh well <laughs> I'm, i mean to as you know just to not think about yourself all the time <laughs> it's such a blessing Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's just, well, I'm going to steal this from a friend of mine because he just had a baby and he said, I feel like my love went from walking to flying. And I was like, that perfect. Oh my gosh. That is like so poetic. and <laughs> so true. I know. It's perfect. I was like, oh, that's the best. Yeah. You know, it just made me really want to do, it's funny because for the shameless mom aspect of it, like, it made me decide like, okay, I'm going to do this comedy thing because I want my son at the same time that I think it's important for me to be a stay at home mom for him and to be around for him because I can, I have that luxury and I'm feel like I'm very fortunate to be able to do that. But I also don't want to then when he starts having his own life, I don't want to be like, what am I doing? <laughs> so right. I joke about I for a while I was like made my little hashtag about creating codependent kids because I was like, I kind of want my child to need me forever. <laughs> like, I know. Because he's just so cute. And I want to eat him up. I will say yours is five minus eight. There's some times that he's not as cute anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> I might be ready in 10 years to let you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I know these are the years to just really hold on to it. The five, six, seven, because. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Yeah. Then it starts going. But I just I also just wanted to be the mom like I wanted to be able to tell him I'm an old mom, you know, I didn't adopt him until I was 47. So I just turned 52. And he's about to turn five. So and my mother in law just said, Well, when I was a grandmother for the first time at 55. And I was like, holy shit. That is a sobering thought. Okay. So my mom had me at 37 and my sister when she was 40. And I lived in fear that my friends would find out how old my mom was. (laughs) So then I had my son at like just a few weeks before I turned 37. And I was like, how am I repeating this history? Like this family story that I was so afraid that anyone would ever find out that I had an old mom. And now I'm like, well, welcome to 2020. (laughs) Like 37 is not old anymore. I know. It's so crazy. And my mom was 35 when they adopted me and she was really old. Like I remember being a senior in high school and my best friend's mom had her 40th birthday party because they had the whole cake with like the coffins on it and the skeletons. And I was like, wow, she's so old. And can you imagine being 40 and having your kid be at 18? Like it's mind boggling to me. (laughs) I know. It's so fascinating. It's so fascinating. Yeah. Oh my goodness. So Kim, this has been so fun. Do you feel comfortable sharing your son's name? His name is Charlie. Charlie. Okay. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for sharing your story and Charlie's story of entering the world. This has like warmed my heart over and over. Can you tell us in what ways you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? Just doing it every day. No, (laughs) I think, you know, I really try to just be honest with him and just, it's interesting. I'm not even sure how to answer this question. So number one, I feel like I keep talking about doing stand-up, but that is a way that I am showing up as a shameless mom for him because I want to show him that, you know, when you're just because you're 50 and you're a mom doesn't mean that you're like, oh, okay, well, that all passed because I've had those moments of thinking, you know what, I came to Los Angeles when I was in my 30s to try to quote unquote make it. I did make a living. I'd never, you know, 
got on a television show as a series regular. I never did all of these things that I thought were the things that you had to do to be a success. And then, you know, as you get older, what defines you as success changes a lot. And so I want him to know that I get to define my own success and I get to be a success just by doing the work that I want to do for myself that fulfills me creatively and that I can set my own goals and achieve them. And that can make me feel good because that's an example that I want to set for him. So that's one way that I'm showing up. And uh, yeah. And also I just, I love being with him. Like I'm so lucky because we had put him in preschool and then the pandemic hit. And then it's like this weird gift because to be with a four-year-old for 10 months solid, it's such a good age to be with him. It really is. I will say this is how I know you were meant to be a mother because there's a lot of people with four-year-olds who are not feeling that same <laughs> right now. And I love that this is your perspective on it. I, but I think that's such a like, it is so, it makes it so clear that this is exactly what you're supposed to be doing, exactly when you're supposed to be doing it. Because there's, like I said, there's just a lot of people that don't feel that way about spending all their time with their four-year-old during a pandemic. And like, what a gift, what a gift that like it all played out the way that it did because it was exactly how it was meant to be. Yeah. And I mean, granted, he's, there's, you know, it's like the perfect storm of a lot of things. He's a really great kid. And like you said, like I am older, so I have a lot more patience. You know, I, there are a lot of things that I've done. I don't, not in my head about a lot of things. I get to just really, when I'm with him, I get to just be with him. But I had this epiphany the other day, which is probably not really an epiphany, but as he, you know, did something that I'd ask him not to do a million times, like, you know, drool on purpose <laughs> or I, you know, something which is a habit that he's into now for some bizarre reason. You're only at the beginning of the gross habits. So just prepare yourself. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was like, can you not drool down your chin just because it's interesting <laughs> to you? Because you're getting it all over the place. But, you know, like we don't yell at him unless he's in danger. So if he's doing something, you know, I'm just like, please don't do that. And he always, he's like, oh, sorry. You know, and I just realized that, you know, I could be yelling at him and he would be doing all the stuff that he's doing. He would like be making the same amount of infractions, if not more, if I was constantly yelling at him and being angry at him for doing this. But right, right. Cause he's four, <laughs> you know, like there's no kid who no matter what you say or how many times you remind them, it's going to be like, Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. You said not to do that. So <laughs> right. Got it. Like check never doing that again. Like it's of course, like it's life right now is like, I ask him not to do something and he's, you know, goes, oh, and then he does it again, you know, either the next day or five minutes later, because that's life right now. So I was just like, I'm just so glad that, you know, we've been able to develop this, like I can communicate with him <laughs> and not yell and not just be like, why are you doing this? <laughs> you know, because it just makes pandemic life has been so much easier because I think I've just accepted like, all right, <laughs> you know, this is just what happens when you're with a kid and I don't have to get all bent out of shape about it. So. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So where can people find you and follow you? You're an amazing storyteller as we all just heard, but you also tell stories professionally and as part of your comedy. So I want everyone to go follow you so that they can know when you have all the good things coming out. The best place is Instagram. And that's just at Kim EV, which is K-I-M-E-V like Victor, E-Y. Or if you're a Facebook person, you can follow me at Kim EV Comedy. 
And I also have a Twitter account, but I just don't really, really use it. So, you know. Okay. We'll go, we'll hook up Instagram and Facebook here and people can find you there. But when I do stand up, it's always on Instagram. So. Okay. Cool. Kim, thank you so much. This has been so fun to hear the story. And just like I said a minute ago, like it's just so clear that this is exactly where you were supposed to land and where exactly where Charlie was supposed to land. So this is such a fun story. And I appreciate you sharing your journey with us. I know this is going to help other moms in the world process, especially moms who've been through infertility. Hearing other stories is just like very healing. So I really appreciate you being here today. Thank you for having me. This has been great. So fun. Mamas, before I let you go, I need to remind you and invite you one more time to the Shameless MomCon Collective. Okay, so I'm calling some of you out because some of you have been telling me like, I'm going to sign up, I'm going to sign up, and you haven't signed up. I'm watching. I'm watching the registrations. So we only have a little bit of time left for you to get enrolled, and then we get started sooner than later. So the Shameless MomCon Collective starts on April 15th. It's a four-week virtual event to help you reignite your spark reclaim your joy and live life loudly every damn day. Every week in the collective, we're going to have a special guest speaker, maybe two. We're also going to have coaching and happy hour with me every week. It's going to be amazing. So we're going to have calls every Monday and every Thursday. If you are not available during the live calls, during the live Zoom sessions, everything will be recorded. So you get to still participate. We will have a Facebook group you can participate in. There's going to be a ton of community and connection around this event. So don't worry, people. I know some people are like, but I can't come live to every single thing. That's fine. It's totally fine. You can come live to whatever you can come live to. And then everything else you can watch on the recordings. We do have a really special retreat day planned on May 14th, and you don't want to miss this. So we're going to have a retreat day, a virtual retreat day. I'm strongly recommending that mamas get themselves a hotel room where they can be fully committed and engaged with the content. If you don't have a flexible work schedule, take the day off work if you can. Again, if you can't, everything will be recorded. You'll still have plenty of access, but we really want this to be a time where you do get to take some time just for you. And we're giving you a schedule that we think will allow for that to whatever level you can accommodate at this time in your life. So here's what you can expect. We are going to be covering so much good stuff during the Shameless MomCon Collective. We're going to be covering mommy burnout and body image and the intersection of race and gender and class and power and how to share your stories to give more power to yourself and others, how to manage your mental health and support your kids' mental health. And we're going to be talking about the connection between identity, authenticity, and leadership. So many good things. I don't want you to miss out. I don't want you to have regret because here's the thing. You're going to see people talking about this. You're going to see me talking about this. And I don't want you to be like, oh, I should have signed up. No, just sign up. stop waiting and just sign up. Okay, so go to shamelessmomcon.com to grab your spot. That's shamelessmomcon.com to grab your spot before we close the doors for registration. That's shamelessmomcon.com. Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode 
episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be Shameless Mom of the Week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly. comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play, and we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.